Hey, g'day there, fellow humans. Mark Labusk here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. My guest today is someone I met about five or six years ago and have just stayed in touch because he is a bloody good human being. It's John Haynes, who's the author of Rock Solid Character and has worked in elite sport, high-performance leadership for many, many years now in the AFL system, but now out of that and running his own business. John has really delved into the depths of what character means, and he has created a model that he's using now not just to help his focus area, which is adolescence, but also for for those who are who are working with and dealing with adolescents to help them to step back into their character and to understand their emotional, social, and performance-based sides of character in order to be, I'm not going to say better, but more effective as human beings, whether it be in their families, in their workplace, at school, in their sporting clubs, or whatever it might be. John's an amazing guy. He's, he says it as he sees it, and you're going to really enjoy this. It's looking at looking at something in a very, very different way that we usually call leadership, but John's laid it back into character. So have a listen and we'll catch you at the end. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LaBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. I am delighted to be joined today by the author of Rock Solid Character and high-performance leadership expert, John Haynes. John, thanks for joining me. G'day, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me along. I'm looking forward to it. Mate, I'm looking forward to this too because we we caught up, I reckon it was back in, I'm trying to remember whether it was in like 2015, 16, 17, somewhere around there when you were over in the West and you've been over at the Gold Coast Suns for a while, gone back over to the West now, but... So there's lots to talk about today, and I love this topic of character because I reckon you're coming at something in a very different way, and that's why I want people to hear it. But before we go there, be nice to me here, mate, by the way. You get to go first on first impressions. I'm big on first impressions because I think I just want to remind people that we all have them, and sometimes they can be useful for us, and sometimes they can be not so useful. So your first impressions of the the bogan on the other end of the microphone, mate. (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the same, Mark. I, I must admit, from a first impression perspective, like I'm someone, and we'll probably touch on it, I'm someone who gives trust pretty much straight away um, as opposed to having to earn it. But but I, I think in terms of you, mate, I think like, three sort of words come to mind. It's probably one is genuine, like there was a, a real sense that you are who you are. You know, there's, there's no mask there, which is which is really nice to see. A level of curiosity that you don't normally find in, in everyone. I remember the first few times we met, you your first, you know, full of questions and really keen to find out a bit about me and, and my story and just natural. Like, there's, yeah, there's a natural sort of, I think, you know, we've touched base at different times over the years, but it's always felt, like it's just felt natural every time we've caught up, even though sometimes there's been a, you know, a gap between the different interactions. So that'd probably be the three key things for me. Um I wrote some things down before you spoke about you, and this is going to sound like I just copied all of your stuff. But <laughs> we did catch up only a couple of weeks ago when I was over in the West, and it was like that. It was we. I, I think I saw you last time at, in Melbourne. I think you were at a, a training run for the Gold Coast yeah. Suns, and we'll get into that a little bit. And it was just I walked over, and I'm like, is John Haynes there? And, and people are like, oh, yeah, there he is over there. And we said, g'day, just quickly. It felt pretty natural. Felt the same in, in Perth a couple of weeks back. I had calm. 
Like when I first spoke to you, it was like, geez, this bloke, does this bloke get riled up at all? He just seems very <laughs> calm about everything. Curious. Natural was another one there that I've got. So I've stolen some of your thunder. And the other one that when I walked away, I'm like, like this guy has got the values were oozing out of you around that trust, honesty piece as well. So that's why I was always keen to catch up. I used to send you messages every now and again when things were going all right and maybe not going so well for you, but <laughs> I've really enjoyed the conversations, building the relationship and and now getting to talk to you about some of the work you're doing now, which is fantastic on character. I want to start with the backstory though, because rather than me doing all the research, because I haven't done all the research, but I know a bit about you, but there's, there is a really interesting backstory. I'm, I'm keen for you to, to roll back as far as you want for the listeners here, John, and share a bit about yourself, where you grew up, education, and then what's got you from a professional sense into this um, space around rock-solid character today. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, I'm, I should have said at the start, but thanks for the opportunity to, to share a few things with you today. Um, I think from, a, from an upbringing point of view, I, was, I grew up in regional WA, so born down south um, in a place called Margaret River, and then sort of moved around from town to town. My, my dad was a bank manager, so you'd, you know, typical bank manager back in those days, you'd sort of live three or four years in a, in a small town, and then you'd move on to the next one. So that sort of country upbringing and, you know, a lot of the, the values that people would characterise as being typical of country towns was sort of a really core part of my upbringing. And, you know, when, when you look back around your, your own story, those sort of experiences shape who you are in some ways. You, don't, you probably don't know it so much at the time, but, you know, when you take a step to look, some time to look back, you can make a bit more sense of it. Yeah, we moved up to Perth uh, to the, the latter part of school. Again, Dad was with the bank and, you know, I graduated from school. I had a great time, you know, but I, I think the my whole school experience, as much as there was lots of them, it was sort of five or six in the end, I could think it does build a little bit of resilience and the ability to adapt to different environments is, um, which you can then take into your adult sort of life and, and work career and so on. Studying phys ed at uni, sort of human movement, and you know, love that, love that degree. Uh, it gave me a great sense of planning and organisation and so on, and and just a, a terrific group of people. And some of my best mates now are still people that that I went through university with. You know, we're still really close. And then as I sort of, I realised pretty quickly from an early age, I was somebody who loved sport and loved being part of a team and being part of something. Wasn't that talented at it? Like I was, you know, cricket and footy were probably my two two sports growing up. You know, I was, I was you know, a solid contributor, but never a, you know a star of the team or anything like that. But but always in different leadership roles. So you know, whether it be at school or in teams, you know, you're typically captain or the school captain. So you had those sort of that exposure to leadership even back in those days, which gave you a sense of perhaps what where my interests lay. Yeah, lucky enough to you know get to get into into the AFL environment. In the early 2000s, spent some time at Fremantle. You know, lucky enough to spend some time at North Melbourne, and then and then the, the Suns as well. So that sort of environment of getting in those elite environments and then being exposed to you know really good leadership roles, yeah, it was a real privilege. And I'm really grateful and really humbled by the opportunities that I had professionally. But then also try to complement that with with studies. So I did some postgraduate in business, did my masters in leadership. So I wanted to. I'll describe myself as a practitioner of leadership, so a hands-on sort of trading in some ways around leadership, but I did want to seek the theoretical sort of modelling behind it as well. And 
you know, we'll probably touch on complexity and those sort of things later on. But I think what I've tried to do is take complex scenarios and models and make them really simple for people. And I think that's where leadership can you can really get traction with it. So that's yeah, that's probably a really quick synopsis in a few minutes of the of the journey to this point. I'm not sure that you're lucky that you found yourself here and lucky that you found yourself there, mate. You are the other word I didn't throw in before is humble. And that does come through. And I think that's a great, a great trait to have. Now, um, you talked about your education to Churchill Fellowship. Is that right? So talk a bit about yeah. that because I read that in the in the back of your book there. Um, we'll get into your book in a minute, but that seemed like a pretty big deal to go and do that work, which I think my sense is, is how it really helped you form up into this this topic of character. Can you share a little bit about what that entailed? Yeah, it was reasonably pivotal, to be honest, Mark, in terms of where I how I think about things and and where I, you know what I'm doing today. I hadn't really heard a lot about the Churchill Fellowship, to be honest. But a colleague of mine at the time was sharing his journey with it, and he was, he he achieved a or secured a fellowship around youth development and participation in in youth aid sport. And he was sharing the journey that he went on and the countries that he visited and the research that he undertook, and it really interested me. And and at that time, I was sort of I've always had this fundamentally always been working with adolescent boys and young adults in the different environments that I was in. And again, this inquisitiveness around well, why? Yeah, I think the bigger issues like you know male youth suicide, like it's it's still an issue today. It was yep. it's an issue back then when I was contemplating this. You know, high risk behaviours that adolescents tend to take, and they've taken them for a long time. You know, why do they do that? You know, extremism. So there are all these sort of contextual and environmental things going on for young people, and it's only escalated further since you know I did the fellowship. But yeah, so I put an application in trying to understand, and the topic was around could I investigate you know global best practice for adolescent character development was the title of the paper. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to, you go through a process and, you know, a series of panel interviews and, and so forth. And I was fortunate enough to be able to, to get one and ended up going to Canada, US and the UK and spending time with organisations and individuals who had, you know, real strong expertise with adolescent character development. And, you know, that I was then lucky enough to come back and actually, you know, implement some of that learning in a really implicit way at the Suns, yeah, you know, given the demographic of that group at the time, it it actually applied really well and made a lot of sense. And and then yeah, now yeah, the, the book was was a function of that fellowship and the learning uh, of that experience in a lot of ways, coupled with you know everything that I'd sort of gathered over the the years prior to that. Um, your ability to combine lived experience with the theoretical stuff, I think, is really really useful for people to hear about. You tend to hear that people will either be book smart or street smart, but that ability to bring them together and do what you did. And I saw like a lovely, um, for, for those who don't know, because there'll be people overseas listening to this who are going, who are the Suns? So it's the Gold Coast yeah. Suns, which is an AFL team, um, reasonably young demographic. Now, mate, you couldn't have got a better a bit of a rap from the coach there, basically on the back of your book saying that if it wasn't for you, he wouldn't still be there. So not only were you shaping up the young minds, but also helping out with the people at the top end of the, the business, which you must be, you must be really proud of that, mate. Yeah, I am, and it's um, yeah, it was it was hard to watch the team in the early part of this year, you know, coming back to WA. But yeah, you know, Stewie and I always spoke about when you, you know, we, our, our job was to try to to get the foundations right and and make people feel connected and make them feel part of something, and and that the lived experience and the relationships that you develop. Like they're the things that you remember. Like you remember the great wins and you know the, the bad losses and 
and all those sort of things. But ultimately, in five, 10, 15 years' time, you know, that playing group, regardless of what they achieve in that club, the relationships are the things that underpin it. And I was you know, really proud of that, that we built a club that people feel connected with or played a role in building a club that people feel connected with internally. And, yeah, and the relationship with Stewie was is a really special one. And, you know, the, the connection and the relationship between your GM of footy and your senior coach is pivotal. It doesn't matter what club you're in and what phase you're in, it's pivotal. And, you know, Stewie and I had a great one and, you know, the relationship's um, really strong and we're really, really proud of that. Good on you. I remember uh, that day when I saw you there and, and I – when I left, I think the training had finished and the, and the young fellas were walking across to go across St Kilda Road and I was, they didn't know who I was. I was walking in between <laughs> them all. And the banter and just the way that they were together, you could tell that they'd done some really good work together because, yeah. you know, you can tell when there's a bit of that, when it's genuine and yeah. when it's actually sort of made up. And, and, and I guess, again, credit to the work because a very young group of people in a newly formed club like, so yeah. trying to create something, and I, I just love seeing those little things. Um, character. So I, I did do a Dr. Google because I don't do much research, but I did Google something up. Like the definition that I saw, and there were many definitions and all sorts of ways character work, the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Now, I quite like distinctive to an individual because I think what I'm getting a sense of from just the work you're doing is that Character is not about putting people into boxes. And a lot of the things we see in the workplace, it's like, where, which box can we put John in? Which box can we put Mark in? All of those sorts of things. So I want to talk about that. But before we do, I want you to share the story you shared with me in a cafe two weeks ago about the title of your book, Rock Solid Character, and where Rock Solid came from. Because I think this is this is a beautiful story. Yeah, it's Again, you always make sense of things by looking back, I think, don't you? And, um, you know, so if I go back when I was growing up, my uh, my papa, uh, so my dad's dad, so he, you know, he was a bank manager as well. So he was a bank manager for 35 years as my as my dad was. And papa, as, as we sort of knew him as, if I'm 10, 11 years old and I asked papa, you know, what do you think of Mark? Like he'd just say, oh, he's rock solid. And, you know, as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, that's all I needed to know. It was and the feelings at that age were things like, you know, honest and dependable and reliable and safe, trustworthy. So, you know, growing up, again, you know, I'd use that term sort of colloquially myself as well, you know, he's rock solid or, and, and using a really sort of, you know, that sort of style. But when I was forming this this model around character and, you know, the learnings off the fellowship, it was, well, what what resonates for me and then potentially what would make sense for people either reading the book or part of the program or whatever it might be, what can they grab onto? And now already in a really short period of time with the different groups I'm working with, people are using that language yep. you know, really quickly and, and some of the other language that we might touch on as well, that it, it resonates with people and it certainly resonates with me, yeah. I always think you've said it twice now that you sort of, you can look back in hindsight on on those moments when you were younger, 11 years old hearing that, and it's carried its way through to to the great work you do today, which which is on character. So let's let's get into that now. The interest in the concept of identifying and understanding character and the development of character, I could say who got you interested. I've got a sense of that now, but what really got you interested in this space? Because it's it's different yeah. to what we usually see. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that's one of the reasons it interests me. I, I think again, being in, 
in really sort of good and highly scrutinized leadership roles and having done you know, a lot of study on it, there was so much stuff on leadership. You know, there's so much literature on leadership and and without being flippant and without sort of disrespecting all the work that's been done, a lot of it is fundamentally the same. Yep. So, but conversely, there's not a lot on character. So again, I was, I was sort of interested in, into as to why is that the case? And, and I, I know a certain part of that interest is because it's just so foundational. Like it's just so fundamental to what we what we want to do as human beings. But when we talk about leadership, I think sometimes we layer leadership philosophies and models and frameworks on top of people before they're ready yep. on, sometimes and before they really understand themselves. And then if you can get that right, that the fundamental stuff right, and then layer the leadership context on top, that's when you can really see some some real improvement and real um, development in people. The other aspect that sort of interests me was around, so there was the contextual stuff that I mentioned before around young men and the, the shifting sort of landscape around role models, you know, the role models that we had when we were growing up and the context was very different to what it is today. You know, this high-risk behaviour that, yeah, the, the mental well-being, mental health challenge, all that sort of environmental stuff that was going on around us interested me. And then there was just this language around, oh, he's good character, he's poor character, he's a strong character. But then when you ask people, well, what do you mean by that? Oh he's, oh, he's just a good bloke or he's a shit bloke. Like there was no definition around it. And then going in a sort of particularly in a North Melbourne where we're looking at when you're bringing young players in, you know, we want to be really clear on what type of characteristics would actually thrive in an elite environment. So not just function, so that's the baseline, but yep. actually thrive in that environment. So so we did a fair bit of work, you know, back then. This is sort of back, you know, when Brad started and Brad and I started together in 2009 around identifying what are the traits, the characteristics that actually thrive in this environment outside of football talent. So they, 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 they were the things that sort of interested me and then it was a case of when people ask me what they think character is, what I think character is, you know, I needed to, to be able to describe it and need to be able to define it. And so that's sort of, yeah, that's where I sort of started delving into it. That's, that's fantastic. I think we'll, we'll touch on that in a question coming up soon. Um, are you born with character or is it learned? The thing is, you know, when you mentioned before that you Googled character and looked up the definition and you use the word distinctive, if you go back in Greek mythology, character means relates to imprint on your soul. So part of my sort of modelling, if you like, and my, my position is that part of us is fixed and, and, and it's a function to a degree of the environments and so on that we've been in and, and how we've been brought up. But also part of that imprint on your soul can be smashed out of us or it can be covered up and that can be through tragedy, through trauma, through a whole range of different things. So part of this sort of rock solid approach is, well, how do we help people rediscover their imprint? So the things that are that are in there, but they perhaps have forgotten what they are. But then also, I hear some things that you can chase, and it's not a judgment on your character. It's saying, okay, well, let's pick an example: kindness, for example, or ego, or how competitive you are. How are you going in those spaces? And just because you're you don't feel that you're as kind as you could be or you've got a whopping ego and it's out of control, that's not a bad thing. It's how do you how do you get better in the different buckets of character. So there's the distinctive, the imprint part, which we help rediscover, and then, okay, can we get better or can we explore some other elements of our character as well, the things that we'd actually like to get better at? Yeah, I love it. Hey, um, 
The relationship between character, leadership development, and creating a high-performance environment, just a small question there I thought I'd throw in, but I know I'm speaking to someone who loves this sort of stuff. So even more when you said before about Brad at, at North Melbourne when you're like, we were looking at the character of the people. Now, I started thinking of the workplace where a lot of times in the workplace, technical competence wins the day. So if you thought about that in a elite sports sense, they're a bloody good junior footballer. Yep. They might have a couple of things that aren't quite good that we're prepared not to look at at the moment and yeah. we'll let it go. But my sense is that stuff will catch up with them at some point in time. So what's the relationship here between these things? Yeah, um, I think it's strong. So if you talk from a, a bit of context around high-performance environments sometimes, like they can move really quickly. Yep. The, you know, results orientated, performance based, move really quickly. We've got to get going. You know, we need to get the outcome. We need to win. So, no, that can put a lot of pressure on on any environment, regardless of whether you're a football team or an accountancy firm or a mining company, whatever it is. So, part of it, and you mentioned that calmness before, is just creating an environment that's still results based. Like we still want to, you know, achieve, but but let's just get the foundations right. Like let's just take a breath and slow down and actually make good decisions here because if we can get eight out of ten right, well, we're going to give ourselves a chance regardless of what business we're in. But if we're getting four out of ten right this year and then next year we're getting seven out of ten right and then we're back down to two out of ten, like inconsistent decision-making which doesn't have a level of composure and calmness to it and is driven by ego, you're not going to get to where you want to get to. So I think having a, a model that links character so what are the foundational things that we value here you know what does good leadership look like and then being aligned with your particularly your key decision makers so you know and your board like having that alignment in high performance pressure environments is is critically important because when pressure goes on people can do two things they can either make decisions that are in the best interest of the organization and back their people or they think of themselves and they put the organization under pressure and whether you're a public-facing company or not, or organisation or not, those two factors still sit there really, really strong. It's interesting having worked in a with a couple of clubs, and one of the things you hear is, like elite sport, there's there's a corporate world and there's pressure and scrutiny, but you don't tend to have journo standing outside. I remember one time when I was working at Essendon, and and they must have thought I was someone interesting when I was walking in one day to do some work, and the journo comes up and starts asking me questions about something and I went, nah, you're talking to the wrong person here. Don't, don't, I, I can't help you. But like the scrutiny and the need to be successful in, in a quick period of time. And that's why we see just about every year, like people getting sacked and changes happening. And how difficult is it to stay the journey and hold your nerve on where we've got to build character at the same time, we've got to show improvement. It must be yeah, extremely yeah. challenging from a leadership perspective to hold your nerve. Yeah, it is. Um, there's no doubt it is. And that's why that, you know, I know alignment gets thrown out uh, a fair bit, but it's just so important. Yeah, the alignment between your performance environment and your board CEO is just absolutely critical. Yeah, and there's been some classic examples in the last couple of months, you know, just in the AFL, hasn't there? But but more broadly across society, you know, itself, I, I think, you know, people talk about failures of leadership and failures of governance. And, you know, there's been enough Royal Commissions in, just in Australia in the last couple of years that have been examples of that. But I would argue that those and even some of the stuff that's happened in the AFL in the last few months, 
the failures of leadership and failures of governance have actually been an outcome of a failure of, again, having fundamental foundations from a character perspective yep. and the fundamental behaviours that underpin really great performance because when the pressure's gone on, those organisations have failed it, yep. unfortunately. And, and then that, that doesn't make them bad people. No. We said they've just failed in that particular moment and they've made bad decisions which then get promoted as, oh, it's a failure of governance or leadership. No, it's not because I'm pretty sure most boards, ASX-listed companies or whatever, they've got great governance mechanisms in place. They just haven't been able to make great decisions under pressure. Yeah. So there's a difference there. Yeah, and and look, it's not just in elite sport. It happens in, like you said, in the boardrooms, but something came to mind for me then was just the historical cultural nuances in these places. They can be carried over for decades, and every now and again when things do get quite – rough and tough and and they're not going well those things tend to creep back into decision making and it's like we've always been like this it's just that it hides every now and again then it pops its ugly head up again and all of a sudden you know we've seen a few things happen in recent weeks which would suggest that that sort of thing happens yeah 100 percent. yeah traditional leadership personas like you know tough hard (laughs) <laughs> and that's not, I'm not just talking sport, I'm talking the whole thing here. It, you've got to be out there and doing all, making the hard decisions. Don't be soft and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. How are they impacting on the effectiveness of both of, on leadership and then people showing their true, if there's such a thing, true character? I don't know if there is, but yeah. if there is such yeah. a thing. There's a few things there. I think, and just to touch on what you mentioned before, like ego is a big part of this. Yep. Like again, under pressure, defaulting to like what's best for me as opposed to what's best for the organisation. Like it's a real pressure point for people and organisations, I think. You mentioned technical skill before and and we've all seen it. You know, the best accountant, the best engineer, the best doctor, they get promoted based on their technical expertise and you see it in sport as well. But then when things go wrong, the, the, the public messaging normally is, oh, yeah, well, it was people-related. Yeah. They couldn't work in groups or they couldn't build relationships or they couldn't build a culture but we promote them for the technical stuff. So I think there's tension there and there always has been, but I I think organisations are getting better at it, but they still struggle with it. I think that the evolution of leadership, you know, I won't get too many university references here, Mark, but out of the London School of Economics, there's this Manoush uh, Shafiq talks about muscle, brain, heart and this evolution. Like I think now and a lot of the work I'm doing this year is just helping (laughs) That sort of old school, and particularly over here in WA with you know resource companies and mining companies, where there's there's some pretty solid uh, characters, you know, running big businesses, trying to teach them to lead a little bit more from the heart and understand what this expectation, this generation expects. Yes, and, and we've all seen the fight, you know, the war for talent and all this sort of stuff. But this generation has higher expectations on their leaders than, than perhaps we did, and so leading with empathy leading with care, like showing genuine interest in building relationships and connection, like that takes time. And if you're not used to it and it doesn't come naturally for you, it can be a real challenge because it's far easier just to tell and say, this is what we're doing. Uh, and sometimes you need to do that. But this generation is expects more. And then as a leader, like how do you, so if you're leading more from, you know, with empathy and care and genuine levels of support, like how do you build a sense of belonging with people? Yeah. How do you help them make sense of stuff? You know, how do you help build meaningful work for them? So, again, stuff that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago where people would describe, oh, that's all soft. The reality is now that's the hard stuff to do. 
because it takes time and you really got to think about it if it doesn't come naturally. But if you get it right, like that's where organizations just take off. Yeah, they do. It's funny, the soft stuff. I had someone today uh, in a, I was running a session today for a company and they, and I got asked a question at the end, like, I think someone's starting to see my human side as, and kindness as weakness. Um, and then, then there'll still be those people around. And you know what? I don't blame those people for that. They, they've come up in a system that has rewarded being a certain way and then being technically good. So we'll keep doing that. But I, I love your point before that even the most bloody hard human beings who have come through that way, I actually think you can teach old dogs new tricks. No, you can. Yeah. And that, that, that can be back to that thing of there was something in their character that they had. We've all got it, but some of us choose to hide it or we choose to go another way because it creates success. So it brings me to the workplace now. Simple and practical tools and tips, John, for, for both individuals and organisations to leverage character and harness the best of humans in their workplace. What would be some of the things, and we'll get into your book a bit in a minute too, but what would be some of those things that you would suggest that people could look at? Yeah. I think this idea, again, of you know, how do you build connection and, and understanding within within your workplace? Like, again, it's a really easy thing to say, but like if, if you're deliberate about it and it actually invest time in it, like it works. Yeah. And if people understand each other better, um, they're more likely to work more effectively together. And if they feel more connected to one another and more connected to the organisation, so what you know, what's this organisation actually here for? It gives people a sense of purpose. But you've actually got to take a little bit of time and be deliberate about that. You know, there's an organisation over here that I'm doing some work with at the moment, which is a mining company, and people look at mining companies and go, oh, you're just pulling a whole heap of stuff out of the ground and making a heap of money, and part of that's true. But the the MD of this company would say, well, we're actually changing people's lives. Well, what, how do you see that? Well, we're providing opportunity and salaries and career pathways for people that they typically might not have access to. Yep. And it changes their lives because they can, you know, afford to buy their house and pay their house off and provide their kids with education. So all the things that we need and want, this company sees that they're actually providing a platform for their people to do that. So so there's a bit of purpose stuff there, but also being really deliberate about how you build connection and understanding. From a role modeling perspective, I think how do you create a sense of us as a leader? The sooner and the the more effectively you can remove a sense of us and them and there's a sense of us, really simply, deliberately role modelling selfless behaviour. Yep. Like I, I remember, you know, if I quickly go back to the sons, just simple things like you know, we go home at night, I'd always ask myself at night, how am I helping those around me? How am I making others feel? Like, and and it, it's just asking simple questions and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and, you know, never forgetting how hard it is in the role that they're in or the journey that they're on. Like, again, just trying to place yourself in their shoes is a really important thing and, and deliberately asking yourself those questions. So how am I making other people feel? And are you testing that, you know, on a regular basis? And then the last one is around, again, when the shit hits a fan and when the organisation or your team is under pressure, and that can be in whatever context it is for you. How well are you backing your people? Yep. Again, how how well are you taking your ego off, switching, putting it to the side, and thinking, what do I need to do here to back my people? And if you can get that right, particularly under pressure, in times of pressure, 
like it'll pay you back in spades. Yeah. Like it'll pay you back so much down the track. But some people's default position under pressure is to think, shit, okay, what do I need to do here to protect myself? People will see through that straight away and you'll you'll lose them. Again, it's been, it's been really deliberate about it. We've got great bullshit detectors. So that's right. You will see that stuff. I, I, in, again, you use the D word so much there, deliberate, like being deliberate about this stuff. So this is, this, that again tells me the organizations that have been successful here haven't been like, oh, we better do this because we had some shiny face consultant come in and give yeah. us this sort of two by two and a ticker box and, and they gave us a couple of examples. And, you know, people are just see through that bullshit so quickly, yeah, yeah. which, which I, I actually at times, and, I, and even my own at times, I've got to challenge my own character in the work that I do and that you do. It's like, so what are we bringing to this that's yeah. helpful? You said it before, when I go home, I reflect, what am I doing that's helpful? What am I yeah. doing that maybe isn't as helpful? And I think this isn't just about organisations, it's about humanity to go, what is my character? What what, what do I think yeah. I'm known for and what do other people know me yeah. for? So I think you pick some big things up yeah. there. And I think that's a, just really quickly that, yeah, you know, it's another difference, I think, between character and leadership is because sometimes, like, you can separate yourself from your leadership, and I've done it. You know, you stand in front of a bunch of cameras and you provide, a, you know, an organisational view that's been really well crafted from the communications team and, you know, it, come, it sounds really nice, but you're actually sitting there going inside, you're going, I'm actually not sure about that. Yeah, you know, I'm actually not sure, but that's the organisational message. So you can almost, but you can't separate yourself from your character. Like it, it, there's a difference there again. So if you genuinely look at the type of leader you want to be, if you keep coming back to what do you believe in, you know, values based, what's your character? Like it gives you a really good point of reference again from a decision making yeah. point of view when you're under pressure. And that's challenging too, because I think there's always that time where you need to, you know, the, the party message has got to go out there. But but I even reckon in those, uh, for those who have been listening to that stuff for a while, it's what's not said where the me- is where the <laughs> message is and. I, I often say this, they said a lot, but they didn't say anything just then. It's like, what the hell was that? I've heard it a bit recently in cricket circles, I reckon. There's been a lot of, what the hell does that even mean? When we start going into customer-centric and all this <laughs> stuff, I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, no, no. just why don't yeah. you say what's really going on so you don't continue to put people off? Yeah. Simplicity and complexity and complicated and all that sort of stuff, I um, I am a very simple guy who thinks that we might overcomplicate stuff, even though things are complex, don't get me wrong. And you would have seen a lot of this because of the space you've worked in, but why is it at times we try and overcomplicate stuff and make it more complex than it needs to be, if you do think that? Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's two parts. Like, firstly, like, like the world is complex at the moment, so we need yeah. to acknowledge there's a whole heap of complexity for people. Yeah, that, that's affecting their well-being and their lives and all those sort of things. So there is some complexity out there. There's no doubt about that. And I think part of, like I've said before, how do you help people make sense of things like without giving them the answer? It doesn't mean it has to be this or that, but helping them make sense of stuff is is something that you know, the best leaders that I've seen do really well. I think there is a there's an ego to all of this. Like people like being at times the smartest person in the room. Yep. And then that can become competitive and then that can become then elevate that level of competitiveness twofold. So I think part of it is, like you said before, is is it, how do you make complex stuff as simple as possible and practical without dumbing it down? Yep. Pe- people like to be able to say, oh, yeah, I can I can grab that and I can use that like today. 
or tomorrow. It makes sense for me. And often, as you said, it's 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 really simple tools and really simple practices that you can put in place. And to your point and to what you, the great work that you do, it's around well, what are the fundamental things that human beings need and respect from each other. Like if we can, again, if we can get that right, like it, it helps with calmness, it helps with decision-making, it, it helps with being, you know, kinder to other people. So I think bluntly part of its ego yep. and part of our role, and when I say our, people who are fortunate to be in the positions that we're in but also the positions that I've been in is how do you make that complex stuff simple for people. Yeah, good. I often think the mark of whether success is happening or not with what I'm doing is when someone says, that, but that's just really simple. And I go, yeah, yeah. yep, what do you want me to say? Is it, do you yeah. want it? It shouldn't be complicated, but like we want deep connection. We want a strong sense of belonging. We want to feel like we're part of something. Um, The book, Rock Solid Character, and what's in the book? What people reading the book who are intrigued now about character as opposed to leadership and and whatever else, what little gems are they going to pick up in there, John? Yeah. Well, I hope there's a few. I I actually went down south with my boys on the weekend for a surfing trip and felt really good. I'm driving back. Got home last night and I got a message from a, um, a friend who'd bought the book um, and she's got two adolescent teenage girls and she just sent a lovely message, you know, around some some key takeaways and things that she can do today. I thought I felt pretty good after the surfing trip with the boys, but I felt even better after that. So, look, it's designed to be practical. It's designed to be, you know, something that people can, can use straight away. You know, the essence of the, the model is around, again, adolescent development. So there's yeah, there's a bit in there around how do you help that age group, you know, build their identity and their sense of purpose and have a broader sense of self-worth than just focused on one particular thing, whether it be performance or academia or whatever it is, but trying to broaden that sense of self-worth and how parents and leaders can help build that. The the model itself, sort of really quickly, three buckets. So there's emotional characters, which is how you think and feel. So what's going on inside your head? And I'm not a psychologist and I don't um, pretend to be, but there's some there's some elements in there around that can help you, you know, how you talk to yourself, but also how you feel about what's going on around you. Social characters, sort of what you see and what you hear, so what's going on around you, that can be the hardest thing for people to to practice because we typically don't have great observational skills of what's actually going on here, like what's actually going on in the environment that I'm in. But it's a really fun one to to teach and and practice. And then the performance character is how you show up. So what you say and what you do. So today, your performance can be anything, but today, like it's make sure that you know we're prepared as well as we can for this chat. And you know, you show up well and you show up ready and you know you, you've got good energy and all those sort of things. So they're the three sort of buckets. And then within each of those buckets, there's some traits and some habits that people can, as I said before, they might already be really strong in some areas, but there might be some areas that, hey, I actually wouldn't mind getting better at that. And here are some tips so you can get better at it with you. Fantastic. I love, again, that the emotional social performance, like they pick up all the, all those key human qualities that you want you want people to become more aware of. Now, I, you know, there's a real passion that's coming through around working with adolescents. And, and I know whilst you're working with corporates, like a big passion of yours has been going into schools, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Well, that age group, I think, you know, we talked about complexity before, Mark. I, I reckon if you look at what's coming at this generation compared to what we had to deal with is is different yeah. at best. So the complexity of what they're dealing with is is strong. So when I was writing the book, it was like, do you write it 
for the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 15-year-old, or do you write it for people who have carriage of responsibility for that cohort? And and I, I land on the ladder. So it's it's designed to help parents and leaders who are working with younger people as to how not to get the best out of them. We're not trying to squeeze a lemon here. Like it's it's again, how do you build a sense of belonging, a sense of identity, sense of meaning, help make sense of stuff, build autonomy, build good decision makers. You know, all those sort of things. That that's the intent of the book uh, and the intent of the model. But the reality is, having you know worked with a whole range of different people this year, men and women, you know, our age mark are, are doing the program and going, "Like this applies exactly to to me," and I'm 55 yep. or 42 or whatever. So the principles are the same, but the the context is different. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of um, I guess working in these sorts of spaces is that the, it's relevant to everybody. So just just from a, if you're thinking of a school perspective, what are the sort of challenges that schools are having when they call you in, John? What would they say their biggest challenges are? Well, for for boys, it's decision making. Yep, <laughs> and that's really broad, but you know, peer pressure, the ability to make sound, rational decisions in the moment. Do I ride my BMX off this ramp or, you know, do I jump off this balcony or do I stand up for that kid who's getting bullied or do I leave, do I do, do I walk past it? So there's a whole range of different decisions. But again, it sort of taps into that social character part, just working with these young lads to say, well, what's actually going on here? What would you be doing if you're in the other person's shoes? Yeah, there's a whole range of ways of looking at it. But that decision-making element is really a critical one. And then the other part is this, this sense of self-worth. Yep. And sense of belonging. Like even and even today, and I was I only saw the headline, but you know, the Napland results, which I don't hold a lot of um weight on, to be honest, but you know, the boys' scores and weighting are just dropping year by year compared to females. Yeah. And there's a whole range of you know factors for that, but this sense of worth and sense of identity and belonging as to where do I where do I fit in here is a really key part for for adolescent boys. But as I said, you know, there's doing some really cool work with with girls of the same age as well. So just on that too, what what are those key areas for girls then? Because this is an important part in their life as well, important phase in their lives. Yeah, well, it is. And I, I think part of it's around this sense of achievement. Yeah. Again, attaching their worth to whether it be sports performance results, whether it be academic results. Really, really quickly, I was at, I can't remember if we shared this story before, but I was at, at the surf club uh, last summer and there was a, a lady who uh, – whose daughter had never been beaten, she's like 12, in a board race. And I could overhear it. She was saying, oh, my daughter's never been beaten in a board race. And she turned to me and sort of said it again. And I said, oh, that's, that can't be good for her, can it? And yeah. she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it, it can't be good for us. At some point, she's going to be beaten. And she looked at me and she said, no, she won't, John. And sure enough, four weeks later, you know, the girl got knocked off a wave, gets beaten, and the, the parent reaction was tenfold compared to what the young girl's reaction was. And so if I put myself in that young lady's shoes, she's attaching, I'm jumping a few hoops here, but she's attaching her mum's love to how she performs. Yep. And from a parenting, from a leadership, from a coaching perspective, it's, it's not healthy. So how do you build a sense of worth, make people, again, feel a sense of meaning and a sense of belonging that's broader than just any one thing? And for adolescents, it's so critical because, again, we talked about social media earlier and role modelling. Like they're they're looking at their phone and thinking, well, that's what I should look like. That's what how I should behave. That's what I should be. But there's no connection there at all, other than what they're looking at through a screen. Mm. So building this, you know, this village of role models who are 
who can they can touch and feel and and impact them in a positive way is is a really strong part of it for girls and for boys. Yeah, and I, I certainly hear the passion in your voice, and certainly the ability to influence tomorrow's characters. I'm going to call them characters and leader yeah. leadership is is really something that, that that shines through here. Surely some parents aren't living vicariously through their kids, mate, in oh, a sporting see. situation. <laughs> no, that would that would never happen. Oh. But, uh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's yeah, that, that's unfortunately that's the reality. And you know, even I've done some great sessions this year with parents and got some coming up with coaches as well. Just to again, not tell not to tell them how to suck eggs, but just to give them some context on on the impact of their behaviour on growing minds and growing bodies. Like you, you, you can't, you can never forget it. Well, bravo for you showing leadership at the surf club when you turned around and said, that can't be a good thing because I think yeah. at times that was what someone needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. And that's, um, no, 100%. that's leadership yeah. in itself. Hey, um, let's wrap it up with where people can connect with you and also get hold of your book. But, you know, I know you do some speaking gigs and I'm sure there are people listening to this going, there's, plenty of work to be done in this space with adolescents. Where can they find you, mate? Mark, it's, it's one area that I haven't um, spent a lot of time in this year. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, but that's that's about it in terms of making contact with people. And I'm, I'm happy to for you to put my email and, and number up and so forth. But I've deliberately this year just taken a view that I just want to explore what it looked like without overly promoting myself, if yep. that's the best way of, of describing it. Uh, and I wanted to see could I do it organically and, and through – you know, word of mouth and actually proving myself, to be honest, rather than telling people how good it is. So I'm getting to that stage of you know, where I need to step into, uh, you know, websites and Instagram and so on. But if people wanted to hook up, then I'm certainly on LinkedIn and um, more than happy to, to hook up with them through that if that's the easiest way. And and then the books on all the, you know, the, the typical channels, you know, Amazon, Booktopia, the Book Depository, Angus and Robertson, all those sort of places, um, people can find it. And um yeah, I hope it helps. Yeah, so check it out. Rock solid leadership. And, um, mate, you better start blowing a bit of smoke up your own backside shortly and, and get, you know, I know why you're doing We had a great chat. And again, there's the, the humility that comes through, the, the humble John Haynes comes through there. But you're doing amazing work, mate. And, and like it's, like you said, it's, there's lived experience, there's some theory behind it as well. I think it's going to help shape up. What great leadership can look like in the future if we can get into the minds of the of the younger people. So, mate, thanks for coming on, and uh, I do look forward to the next time we catch up face to face. It'll just feel like yesterday. Thanks, John. No, thanks, Mark. Appreciate your time. One of the things that uh, John does really well is, is, I guess, to look back in order to understand why he does the work he does. So, he talked about his papa and the questions that. Every now and again, as an as an eleven year old boy, John would ask his papa, "What do you think?" Oh, yeah, rock solid, and and that just that term of phrase and using that term of phrase, which has shaped him up, and he's thought about that all the way through, I guess his formative years, going into teaching, as he said he did, and uh, and then into the elite sport, and and why character is such an important concept to him, to the point where. You know, and these things don't get given out. Uh, getting a Churchill Fellowship, travelling overseas, and and really delving deeply into what sits behind character. So, here's a guy that is very unique because he's he's very very street smart. He's got great lived experience, but he's also chosen, as he said, to to dig more deeply into theory to bring this together and create what he has today in his book, Rock Solid Character. Quite an interesting model which takes into account the emotional, 
the social and the performance characteristics of character. So the emotional being how we feel, social what we see and hear, and performance what we say and do. And, you know, the simplicity of his message today, you've got to make sense. You need to be deliberate. And he said deliberate very deliberately on many occasions. Deliberate about building connections. All right. Deliberate about your behaviours and your selfless behaviours. And when shit hits the fan, as he said, that you need to be aligned and you need to have people's backs. Now, these are messages we've heard many times on the podcast, but they continue to, I think, reinforce the message that to step into your humanness is really important. And as John said, he's now working with some, I guess, some people who have been brought up in another way to be hard and not sort of into the warm and fuzzy, soft, fluffy type things, but now understanding that they're dealing with a different audience who demand that it's leadership's just not about all the tough stuff. Leadership's about a whole lot of other things, and that's where character comes into it. And John is great at helping people rediscover maybe what they've lost in that character, not meaning they're bad people. It just means they've lost a bit of touch with some things because perhaps they're not getting rewarded for showing that as much as they should. Check his book out. As he said, it's it's available at Amazon and at Booktopia and all those good places. Rock solid character. It is a bloody good read. And connect with him on LinkedIn. And if you're in a school or you're involved with a school somewhere and you're looking for someone to come in and, and do some work and help the adolescents and shape up those minds of tomorrow, then John's your guy. Hey, if you love this one, why not rate it five stars? Leave us a little comment as to why you loved it. And if you liked it, share it with your friends, share it in your community. I think this is a great one to share in your community because John is really helping to, I think, shape up what community should be in the future by getting to the minds that we need to get to now to help them to dig into their character a bit more. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, keep it human. Bye for now.